Mother Teresa said, I alone cannot change the world, but I can cast a stone across the waters to create many ripples. Hi guys, I'm having some more light bulb moments and shifts and not feeling so um, powerless to this struggle to go no contact um, that a lot of us are in. I have some ideas and thoughts. Um, I went to work this morning and started thinking about the absence of the good morning. Um, you know, the good morning text, the good morning phone call. I hope you have a wonderful day. Love you. And I thought, <clears throat> I'm so sick of feeling that when we stop talking, you know, I feel sad over that. I feel, you know, bothered by the absence of that because it literally has no meaning. Um, he does not love anybody. You know, it's just the absence and empty space during my morning. It's noticeable, even though it's meaningless. So I decided I'm going to do this for myself. Um, my good morning texts will have much more meaning than his anyways, right? So I saved my own phone number in my phone as self-love. And when I feel that absence... I am going to write myself a text to fill that space he used to take up. I don't need that from him. I don't actually need that from anybody. So my self-love text today to myself was, Good morning. I hope you have a positive day. Feel good about yourself and do some self-care after work. You deserve it. A listener sent me a message last night and said, I'm listening to your TED episode and I'm feeling so much. Thank you for your bravery. Um, I've actually been getting a lot of messages um, in the last few days around that episode. Um, you know, and I thanked her for sending me that because I honestly was contemplating taking it down. Um, but it's obviously, you know, doing what I wanted it to do. So I'm going to leave it. Um, we got to chatting. She's in Canada and she said something that I liked and got me thinking. She said, it is so crazy how they are textbook. My abusive partner's behavior sounds exactly like what I listened to in this episode. It makes me wonder how it's not more normalized. It should be. Um, and that that sat weird with me for a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, you know, what I described was not a good experience. And it bothers me that more people than I thought go through something like that. Um, 
She also said, I was struck when you said he causes all of the pain and makes it all go away. When the wound and morphine become one, um, you know, she was like, I've never been able to articulate into words why the urge to go back is so strong after, you know, they abuse us. Um, so we chatted more and kind of bounced some ideas off of each other on how exactly we'd approach normalizing these behaviors and personality type. Um, you know, it's not just the famous serial killers on TV. There's a spectrum, and I'm sorry, but it is very common. Um, psychopathy is much more common than we ever imagined, and I argue this because it is mind-blowing how many other women I have met who sound exactly like me when describing the situation, um, and they feel exactly like me due to being in it. Uh, we talked about starting a collaborative, so I think that's on the books next. Um, so if you work in the field or have some kind of skill set that could help raise awareness to this issue, please reach out. Um, we're going to get started on that soon. We talked about um, providing education early on that this controlling brainwashing behavior trauma bonding needs to be discussed and understood by young people before they get into dating <clears throat> sex education should be um, a normal you know that should be a normal part of sex education I think that would be a good place to insert it um, you know this is what a healthy partner looks like this is what an unhealthy partner sounds like how they act what they say because it is textbook um, and help people understand the dynamic and mechanisms so that they may have an easier time identifying them sooner. I know that we go over what consent is, and that's super important, and education on sexual assault and what that is. You know, I know all of that's currently covered in sex education, but we need, we need more than that. We need some of this um, to avoid this experience for more people. Um, she has a lot of great thoughts on how to improve this issue within the legal system also, so I was happy to connect with her, um, and it sounds like she's actually going to do an episode with me this season, so, you know, um, we're going to talk about what exactly people would need to know to avoid this, um, Let's talk about codependency, because um, that's important too. Let's define codependency, which I'll say I'm not a fan of the name of this. Um, I think it sounds very negative. Um, I know a lot of a lot of people that work in mental health feel that way also, but it actually the definition of codependency is excessive emotional or psychological reliance on a partner typically one who requires support on account of an illness or addiction. It sounds weak, right? Dependent. When actually what the fuck it means is a person feels they have to be strong enough for the both of you and save somebody. I think codependent behavior is a natural consequence of the trauma I went through with my mom, uh, right? 
I was a caretaker since birth. And this has created some real issues for me, for sure. Um, you know, who I seek out, inconsistent, emotionally distant, and then emotionally overly close um, people in alternating cycles. That was my mom and I. So it's only natural I'd be attracted to someone who feels that way to me. The difference is my mom could love. Okay, my mom had the ability to love. Uh, she was an addict, but she, but she had the ability to love. And my mom did love me. I know she did. But, you know, she also chose to not deal with her childhood trauma, um, you know, did develop alcoholism and was openly and very carelessly um, you know, mentally ill in front of me, leaned on me in her depression and, um, struggle with, uh, you know, suicidal thoughts, leaned on me as a human punching bag, sometimes with emotional abuse, um, when she was angry, you know, instead of picking up the goddamn phone and getting herself some help. So, of course, I'm going to have codependent tendencies. I'm aware of them now. But from this, there has been a very strong urge to be strong for others who are struggling, um, to rescue people in distress, which is okay sometimes, right? The problem lies in the fact that I was conditioned to put everyone else before me. So people like me, with that strong intuition that we feel, you know, that says something's not right. This person is hurting inside. This person has been through a lot, right? And people like me who have a very strong sense of right and wrong um, and a strong urge to do the right thing by somebody, no matter what it brings about, um, You know, I think that we're the most vulnerable population to an abuser, you know, to that personality type. Um, and that's a well-known thing, right? Like that's in a lot of domestic violence education that, you know, people that struggle with codependency are very um, prone to uh, involuntarily engaging themselves into an abusive relationship. Um you know, and their side of it is, you know, the reason that they are drawn to people like us, this person will love me, take the abuse, put me first, care immensely, and I will be able to evoke a lot of emotion within this relationship. Um, they like how intensely we are able to love and they know it'll last longer when they pick up on that codependency because a hallmark problem other than putting everyone else before yourself in codependency um, is lack of boundaries, letting someone hurt you repeatedly and continuing to forgive them because they are sick um, or they're depressed. Now, if a situation occurs and one human being hurts another, that's okay, right? Like that happens in life sometimes. That's part of a normal human experience. Forgiveness is okay, and it's even healing sometimes, you know, um, if there is remorse and there's guilt involved and an authentic apology and the behavior changes 
um, when it becomes not okay, um, is when there's an absence of those things. If there are an absence of those things in your relationship, this is a danger to your health. It's wrong. Um, it is abuse and you are not a bad person for putting a boundary up saying, you know, people make mistakes, but this isn't a mistake anymore. If you've done it more than once, it's a choice and it's a choice you're making without regard to my feelings, my spirit, um, and my well-being. Snip, snip. So I'm pondering greatly what the hell has been going on with me because I was so out of this for a long time and it felt so good and then I saw him again and it went downhill um, again my time spent with him um, and on him is a huge tactic I think I'm like you know when I'm engaging with him um, it's a tactic I'm like subconsciously using to distract from something larger and has something to do with deeper subconscious attempt to resolve some trauma. Um, I think I don't even know about or am totally aware of yet. <clears throat> so I have some work to do and that's okay. Um, I'm ready now. I'm sick of this shit. I'm sick of his shit. So let's talk a little bit more on codependency intervention. Um, how do we change our behaviors and our perceptions of people like this as to avoid this type of interaction and relationship going forward? Uh, one of the things I really had to do was reverse some inner gaslighting that was going on, which are footprints from childhood gaslighting um, and relationship gaslighting, right? Like I was gaslit as a child from my parents. And then I got into this relationship and was uh, acutely gaslighted to the point where I felt crazy. So what are my boundaries? <clears throat> um, you know, I have to take a look at how is this person able to weasel his ass back up in my vibe. If I backtrack a little, um, I think it is that forgiveness without accepting that, you know, it is forgiveness without warrant for it. I don't need to forgive this person in order to receive love, right? Like this, I should forgive my mom because she's my mom. And if I don't forgive her and I put up boundaries, she won't love me anymore. I think that was much of my, um, attachment development in childhood so I, that's something that I'm really going to have to work on um, reshaping and altering within my attachment style um, if you have a thought pattern like that around people you know you've got to learn you don't want or need love from this person um, while they're treating you poorly this person either you know, gives love through toxic intermittent availability or if it's worst case scenario and there is no ability to love another, um, you know, to consider another at all, they can't love you at all, you know, that's a big no-no. We have to learn to develop loyalty towards ourselves. Um, 
instead of giving so much loyalty to people who provide intense feelings of love sometimes, but they're not consistent and they're not authentic. If we're stuck in a state of feeling as though this is our only option to receive love and belonging, that kind of creates an endless longing to be loved without it ever actually happening. If we are stuck in a state where we think this is the only person that will love us, there will never be an opportunity to have a loving relationship with yourself, a basic need, um, you know, because it's not allowed in a relationship like this, in an abusive relationship. You are not allowed to love yourself. The expectation is to hate yourself and feel guilt in everything that you do by the end of it. Um, I made a note of something that stood out to me while reading earlier today. They are infamous for refusal to acknowledge responsibility for the decisions they make or the responsibility of the outcomes of the decisions they make. In fact, the refusal to identify to see the results of their decisions or that it has anything to do with them is a cornerstone of antisocial personality disorder. Um, it is said that folks like this have no insight and often think that we are all the phonies, that truly everybody is like them, um, does things that they do, you know, lying, manipulating, and thinks, you know, they think that we all think about doing them before they do it, like the premeditation thing. They think that's how everybody else operates. Um, and that we, you know, when we call them out for it, like we're full of shit, you know, they're like, whatever you do it to. Um, this doctor that wrote this book I'm reading said, there is no capability to form friendship, love, compassion, or worry of another at all in this situation. Um, but that there is one hallmark complaint, uh, for these folks when feelings are brought up and the hallmark complaint is emptiness the sense that something's missing um, their experience is kind of described as I don't know what it is but I can feel it's missing when I see others interact when I see others Spirit is different from mine. Um, they do see character and see that it is different from their own. I think that they kind of have a, you know, what, what's been described and what I've been reading about is that they kind of have an inner conflict over that between thinking, oh, everyone's just like me, but then, you know, they get around certain people where the character is strong and then they get this sense of emptiness because they, they are able to pick up on character and see that it's different from theirs. And often those with the strongest of character, those with the strongest conscience and capability to love not only a partner or a child, but humanity itself are strongly targeted because they make it challenging. Um, 
you know, the sociopathic type easily becomes intently obsessive with this compassionate character makeup who at first will be naturally manipulated due to their caring nature but someone of strong character will also have the strongest intuition and loudest voice within them telling them you know right from wrong what feels right and what feels wrong Eventually, this character type is not a weak and easy opponent, um, but a competitive one um, in the way of having the intuition to feel what's going on, being harder to fool, so it's more entertaining, right? It provides, um, you know, being on the verge of getting caught. That's more fun than someone who has no idea or suspicion of what is going on. Um, this will also be the person they find themselves stuck to and obsessed with because when they feel that emptiness, there's kind of this faint whisper, something is wrong. Um, this will be the person they envy in observation of their fulfillment without a game and the person they look to, to feel safe while in that state, which is a rare occurrence, um, but this is kind of the creation of dual nature within a relationship with such person. This would be the creation of, you know, some confusion within, you know, a, a sociopathic personality of not knowing whether this person of such good character has something valuable that they don't have, um, something that they could have to enhance their life that they should gain from or um, you know maybe even the person that they're slightly nervous may be able to outsmart them it creates some um, like a mix of I'm, I'm speaking from my own experience like reading this material and then I'm like going through my own experience like okay this is like what I felt in it um, I felt from him now understanding all of these things, I felt from him a mix of irritation and frustration um, and a stronger urge to interact with me, right? To interact with this particular person because for one with a dramatically increased need for stimulation from this shallow, empty emotional makeup, um, an opponent of this kind with this intuitive nature will create more of an intense thrill. So being a woman in this predicament has its challenges. Um, it's scary. Um, it's fascinating. It's infuriating. It ignites outrageous courage to stand up to the person who carelessly has hurt so many um, who have provided their authentic love to such a loveless person. It's also challenging because the glue that is the sociopath's obsession in the very strong sense, they are focused on you, right? When I could feel that, that super strong focus on me, that obsessive thing, um, 
you know, and I felt that sense of me having something that he knows is missing from him, it creates an unimaginable drive for the, for the strong conscience partner to show this empty person and help this person feel what they think is missing. Let me show you how to feel how I feel. Let me show you how to be vulnerable. Um, because that brings more happiness. Let me show you how to feel content. Um, to help them feel through connection what having a conscience could feel like for them. That the way they live is meaningless. In that a person who lives life without all of the wonderful emotions I get to feel, especially with you, is a fucking tragedy. It's sad. Um, I felt sad for him. He does hurt people without caring. He is incapable of love. But I do feel that he feels despair in the fact he doesn't get to have what's missing and is frustrated he doesn't understand or have the ability to learn how to be different. Okay, so let's put the focus back on women. Um, part of the early intervention and education process for the other 96% of us who are not this way needs to be when to forgive someone, what a mistake looks like, what a choice looks like, and what will happen to your mental health if you allow a pattern of ongoing forgiveness with no true resolution or change going on and empower young girls to be strong in their intuition and self-confidence is to not put up with it, to not accept an apology with no remorse. Um, we have to reshape the drama-filled version of love and replace it with a healthy experience to gravitate towards. There's so much, um, you know, in music and media and movies um, that glamorizes toxic relationships. So um, I am enjoying learning more about exactly what conscience is, um, you know, where does our Jiminy Cricket come from? And how do our brains decide how loudly and how often he speaks to us? What exactly is his purpose? Um, I'll share an explanation I found to be helpful. Conscience is a creator of meaning. As a sense of constraint rooted in our emotional ties to one another, it prevents life from devolving into nothing but a long and essentially boring game of attempted dominance over our fellow human beings. And for every limitation conscience imposes on us, it gives us a moment of connectedness with another, a bridge to someone or something. So the question arises in the 96% of us who are not sociopathic, does conscience ever change? Does it ever weaken or waver or die? The truth is that even a psychologically normal person's conscience does not operate on the same level all of the time. One of the simplest reasons for this changeability is the fundamental uh, circumstances of living inside a fallible, need-driven human body. 
When our bodies are exhausted, sick, or injured, all of our executive emotional functions, including conscience, can be temporarily compromised. Normal conscience never disappears, but when the body is weak, the conscience can get very sleepy and unfocused. An assault to the body is one of two things, the other being great fear that elevate the continued wide awake conscience to a heroic level in our eyes. If a person is acutely ill or seriously injured or intensely afraid and yet remains true to his or hers emotional attachments, we think of that person as courageous. <clears throat> this made me um, reflect on some things. It struck me. Um, it struck me that courage then, in the face of fear, is the opponent to psychopathy. It is the opposite. So when someone of his nature is feeling that emptiness and wonder about, maybe she does have something I don't, she has the thing I feel is missing from me, I don't know what it is, but it's become loudly clear its absence is the cause to my emptiness. I think I got to that situation in my abusive relationship, I do. Um, and that, that absence that he was feeling that causes his emptiness is my character. That's something he lacks. Um, it's my ease to have courage in the face of fear. It is the drive to be outspoken about the things I talk about here. It is the curiosity and undying need to understand completely what happened to me and what happened to the others he's done this to and everyone else in the world who has been affected by someone of his nature. It is the complete refusal to believe that this is just the way it is in the world, always will be, and the outcome of domestic violence and the power and control abusers have over women is too large of an entity to be overcome. It is my overwhelming sense that the idea of that is straight bullshit. It is my overwhelming sense that women will outgrow and will evolve enough to not be such easy prey. That vulnerable, kind-hearted individuals can avoid this disgusting experience, traumatizing experience, and keep their uncalloused character intact. It is my overwhelming sense that this dynamic will be phased out if there is enough knowledge behind how to do so. So, why don't you be you and I'll be me? We are not the same. We never will be. No matter how good you get at mimicking my character and ability to love and care for another, you will always be a phony, a fraud. This is one game you will never win. And I plan to develop a swift, intelligent, and efficient way for people like me to immediately understand when they are in the presence of someone like you. You have gone undetected much of the time, but I was able to see you. 
observe you, experience you. And I not only discovered the potential for you to harm because I experienced you, I also discovered my potential to heal. I discovered just how much courage I have inside of me. I will close with an excerpt from the film Enough. I saw this movie with my mom when I was 12 years old. He's standing over you. He thinks he's won. And as sure as he's a coward, he will try to kick you. But because you know what he'll do, you're smiling inside. I fully understand the meaning of that line in that movie now. Much love, guys. Till next time.